Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. So today, we are finishing up our series that we started three weeks ago called Love Song Lies, and Love Song Lies is basically all about us taking a love song and comparing it to the love of God because there are lies present there that uh, we say this is how I'm gonna love, but ultimately all love pales in comparison to the love of God. And the song that the band played for us today was a song by a band called Coldplay. And Coldplay released this song back in 2002 on their album, A Rush of Blood to the Head. And, um, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, I, I feel like I'm a pretty young guy until I hear things like this song is 18 years old. Have you, ever, have you ever heard a song that maybe you liked when you were in high school or college and it, you realized it was on the classic rock station and that made you feel old? Anybody been there? Like, here's an oldie coming out for you now. It came out in 1982. And you're like, <gasps> right? That's how I feel with this song. So I'm like, oh, this song's not that old. And then I realized we've got college students who weren't even born when this song was made. And that makes me feel old. The song is all about this man. He's a scientist. That's where the song came, the title get, uh, is, comes from. This man's a scientist, and he's so engrossed in his work that he neglects his family. He neglects his spouse. And he gets to this point where he basically says, how did we get here? How did we get to the point where now this relationship is going to end? And he, he opines take me back to the start. If we could just go back to the beginning, if we could just go back to where we were, and this is a common sentiment in love, in love songs. In fact, it's a common sentiment in humanity. Uh, if you have relationship with people, you will in inevitably run into hardship. You're gonna inevitably run into points where there's conflict, uh, where there seems to be an impasse. And the sentiment that he lays out is a sentiment that is all too familiar to us, where we go, hey, can we rewind? Uh, I don't know what happened or what brought us here. Can we, can we go back and fix this? And too many times we can't. But this is what this, this singer is saying, like, oh, I wish we could go back to the start. And he says this over and over in some capacity or another. I'm going back to the start. Or take me back to the start, whatever it may be. And I think that's a sentiment that a lot of us feel in relationships, that if I could just go back and start over, if I could do it over, if we could start at the beginning, we'd be better off. And I will give you some homework. I know people love homework, so I'm gonna give you some homework. First uh, John chapter four, verses seven through 21. It's a fantastic passage, and I wanted so badly to share that with you, but just for the sake of time, we don't have the time to dig into that passage today. But I would encourage you, go back and read that. I am gonna reference it a little later, uh, a passage from that scripture in a little bit. But that's your homework for the week. So go home and read 1 John 4, seven through 21 this week sometime. But we're gonna take um, take... Uh, the rest of our, our time together, and we're gonna look at Revelation chapter two. And in Revelation chapter two, God was speaking through John, and he's known as John the Revelator. He was on the Isle of Patmos, and he gets these visions about the future, and God is speaking to him prophetically about what is to come. And, and what he sees are these seven churches in Asia, and he, he has a letter to each church. And, and in chapter two, verse one, what we see is... Uh, God is speaking to the, the church at Ephesus. And so this is what God is speaking through John. And he says in verse one, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. 
Now, this is important because we're just kind of getting started here. This is just a dear so-and-so. Like, this is how it's being addressed, basically. And he describes it as, um, well, he, he says, the words of the one. So he's talking about this is from God, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. The seven golden lampstands represent the seven churches of Asia. Um, that, that this is significant because what we see is God walks among the seven golden lampstands. I want you to know something. God is a near God. He's a God who's close to his church, his bride. He walks near us. This is significant, and it's, I'm grateful for that. But what we see before this, it says, who holds the seven stars in his right hand. Now, the right hand is significant. Throughout Scripture, we see that the right hand signifies authority. It signifies favor. It signifies power. And so anytime the right hand is mentioned, it's mentioned specifically, and it's in context to these kind of ideas typically. So what we see is the, the fact that seven stars are in his right hand is significant. Now, there are several implications to the seven stars. What we see in Revelation chapter 1, verse 20, is that, um, that the seven stars are the seven angels assigned to the seven churches. Now, there, that is true, and there are layers to this, though. And one of the things we see is that people are a superstitious group of people. Did you know that? People are superstitious. And, and pre-Renaissance, before people understood astronomy like they do, um, they believed that the stars dictated our future. Now, that doesn't happen today unless you read a paper that has, uh, you know, the uh, horoscope in it. She really doesn't want him to leave, does she? So I know none of you do that. You read the horoscope, even though it's in the paper every week. But if you do, I'm telling you, your horoscope is not true. The stars don't dictate your future, don't dictate your life. Um, your, the, the, your birth month doesn't dictate who you are. Uh, but this is a common idea, especially in pre-Renaissance. And, and there's a couple of important, important um, times that we see this Signified. We see people talk about this. The first, um, it, it will, both of these are in Shakespearean literature. And I know you guys love to use some Shakespeare, so I'm going to share a little bit with you today. In the play, uh, Shakespeare's play, Julius Caesar, there's a scene toward the beginning of the play where Cassius and Brutus are having a conversation. And Cassius is trying to talk Brutus into betraying Julius Caesar. And, um, and he's a terrible leader, and he's saying, Basically, we're in the place we're in, and he's trying to talk him into this, and he says this. He says, men at some time are masters of their fates. The fault, dear Brutus, is not in our stars, but in ourselves, that we are underlings. So he says, the fault is not in the stars, but in ourselves. So the idea that Brutus had was, this is our fate. The stars have dictated that this is where we'll end up, and this is just the way life is. But Cassius says, no, 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 the fault isn't in the stars, but it's in our character because we're unwilling to do what we're supposed to do to overthrow Caesar. So what we see is this idea that was prevalent that, that fate dictated everything. The stars dictated our lives. If you look at, at the prologue of uh, Romeo and Juliet, um, classic tragedy, and, and what we see in this story is in the prologue, it describes Romeo and Juliet as star-crossed lovers, and maybe you've heard that phrase before, but what it is signifying is the fact that the stars were out of alignment, the stars weren't in alignment, and they were star-crossed, and because of that, fate or the stars were acting against them in their relationship. 
So they should have been together, but they were star-crossed and they couldn't be together. The, the fate dictated this moment. And even in today's language, we hear people say, um, hey, how'd you do on the job interview? You know what, I got the job, the stars aligned, everything came, it was perfect, right? You hear people say things like that from time to time. And what we're saying is that the stars impact our future, and I'm telling you, the stars don't impact your future. Um, and what John is trying to tell his readers is this, um, if the stars hold your fate, then you have to know that God holds your stars. The seven stars are in his right hand. And so maybe you felt like you've had some bad luck in your life. Maybe you felt like things haven't broken the right way. Maybe, if we're gonna be honest, maybe you would say something like, you know what, I mean, yeah, I love my spouse, but man, what would have happened if I would have married so-and-so? Maybe it was just bad luck. Maybe it was just how everything fell. And I'm telling you, if, if you think the stars hold your future, I want you to know the God of the universe holds your stars. He's the one who's directed your path. He knows how things were gonna happen. And if, if you are with someone today, it's not luck or bad luck, it's not happenstance, it's because God ordained it and he put it together. Let me move on. Verse two of chapter two says this. God is speaking now. He says, I know your works, your toil. So remember, he's talking to the Ephesian church. Your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary. So if I can put this in our context today, this would be like God saying, hey, Summit Church, I want you to know something. I see your outreaches. I, I see how you're helping first responders, how you bless teachers and administrators. I see how you come along college students and all the work you do for for, uh, for ladies in the community. I see all the stuff. I see your services. I see what you do for kids ministry. Man, that building's nice. I, I see all that stuff. It's great. Because if you looked at the Ephesian church and you look at all the stuff they do, it's impressive. They, they, they do good things. And not only that, but when, when people step up that shouldn't be um, called apostles, they call them out and say, no, 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 you're, you're, you're not preaching truth. And so they will take care of it. And so what we see is this idea that, that they're doing everything that people would expect a good church to be doing. And I'm grateful that when, we, when I look at what Summit Church is doing, I feel like we're doing a lot of pretty good things. We're checking a lot of boxes. And what we see next is the part that's somewhat alarming. Verse four then goes on to say, God says to the church, but I have this against you, that you've abandoned the love you had at first. They were doing so much well, right? They were doing all the stuff and the outreaches and helping and serving and blessing. And they were doing stuff in their community. They were helping other churches. They were doing all the stuff. But what God says is, you've forgotten what's important. You're doing all these things in my name, but I'm not even really involved in it. You're good at church, but you're bad at God. And something that I've mentioned last week in something that's been, I think, a kind of a conviction on my heart over the last few months is God, help us never be good at church and bad at God. Help us never be so good at our systems and our programs and all the things we need to do that we forget why we do it in the first place. Because it's so easy to do. And this is something I told 
somebody just last night. One of the dangers of our church, as our church grows and we become more successful, if I can say it like, in air quotes, successful by the world standard is, if we're not careful, it's easy to do church without God. It's easy for us to do church and we just go through the motions and we do our thing and we have good music and, and I try to preach my best and have some funny things and you walk out of here going, oh, that was good. But we can do it without the anointing of God and we might not even realize we're doing it. So, so my prayer is, God, help us not do church so well that we forget why we do church in the first place. That it's all about Christ and him crucified. It's all about intimacy and knowing him. That's what it's about. So help us if we ever get to the place where we forget our first love. We forget why we started doing this in the very first place. Now the truth is we can do this with church, but we see this with marriages all the time. We see people who come together and they get married and they become so focused on their kids or they become so focused on their careers or their hobbies or their acquisitions or their house or whatever it may be that before long they decide, maybe I don't love you after all. Maybe we're not supposed to be together. Maybe, maybe there's some things that are more important. And, and I want you to know something. We're gonna talk about the church, we're gonna talk about our relationship with God, but I also want you to know there's a lot of implications for marriages in this message. There's a lot of application for marriages in this message as we walk through this together. Because it's easy to forget why did we get married in the first place? It's easy to forget well, why did we start coming to church in the first place? And if we're gonna be honest, this is not a judgmental statement, but the churches in America that are closing their doors are the churches that have forgotten their first love because they became more focused on what they wanted, they became more focused on what they had to have and just staying alive, whatever it is, and they're closing their doors because at the end of the day, they've forgotten their first love. They've forgotten God's love for lost people. God help us never be that church. Revelation 2.5 says this, remember therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Now, there are a couple of ways you can interpret this final statement where, where God says, if, you, if not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand if you, from its place if you do not repent. Now, the implication is the two extremes on this. One extreme is uh, that your, your salvation might be forfeited if we forget our first love and don't repent. So on one end is this idea that you might forfeit your salvation if you don't return to your first love. The other end of it, I think the best case scenario is that you'll still go to heaven, but you will forfeit being the light of the world. That you might get into heaven, but you're gonna lose, forfeit any influence in the people around you. You're not gonna make an impact. You're not taking anybody with you. It's just you're gonna sneak in by the skin of your teeth kind of thing. And neither of those options are very good. So if we end up in a place where we're saying, maybe I've forgotten my first love, because this is the thing, as a church, we can be good at church and bad at God, but did you know as an individual, we can be good at church and bad at God? It can be so easy for us, year after year, to come to church, weekend after weekend, and we go through the motions, we do the things, we're part of the groups, we might even put stuff in the box, and we do what we're supposed to do, but something has waned in us, something has drifted in us, 
And before we know it, we're just doing church and we're not in intimate relationship with God. So how do we fix that? How, how do we remedy this situation if we realize, hey, maybe my affection for God is not where it once was. Maybe this needs to be adjusted. I've got good news for you. In Revelation 2.5, it gives us the remedy. It's, it sets it up perfectly. So I, I just want to walk through this with you. Revelation 2.5, the first point is this. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen. So if, if you're here today and maybe you're struggling because you recognize the fact that you're not as passionate about God as you once were, maybe you're here and you recognize in your marriage there's something that's missing that was once there, I would tell you to do this. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Do you remember when you gave your heart to Christ? Do you remember where you were or what happened? Do you remember what that was like? Do you remember that moment that maybe your eyes were open and it was like, oh my gosh. Maybe you're sitting at coffee with somebody and they, they were sharing their story, their faith story with you. And all of a sudden there was this awakening, like the light bulb moment where it was like, oh my gosh, I want that. Maybe you were in a service like this one and a preacher was talking and there was this moment where the Holy Spirit kind of drew you and it was like, oh, I get it now. Maybe you were just sitting in your bedroom, reading your Bible, and all of a sudden you realized the love of God for you, and you realized where you were, and you recognized the fact that something needed to change. And you, when we realize, because this is the thing, uh, it's, it's the kindness of the Lord that bring, draws us to repentance. So angry preaching usually doesn't cause somebody to go, you're right, I need to get saved. It's when we see the kindness of God. So you're reading the word and you see the love and the kindness of God and it draws you. You, you hear preaching and it draws, whatever it is, and you have this moment where you go, I need that. It's fun when people come to salvation here at Summit and we get to see them growing and maturing and, and changing. Last night I was talking to one of our staff about a family who started coming to Summit um, about six months ago and how crazy the transformation has been in their lives from where they were to where they are today. It's so much fun to see that. It's crazy to see that, how God works. But this is what happens so many times. Someone will come to faith in Christ. Um, I will say at the end of service, fill out the, the card, take it to the info center, and they do it because they're excited. And, and then they're, they're like, hey, I want to sign up for baptisms. All right, when's the baptisms? It's coming up in April. No, 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 I want to be baptized now. I'm sorry, you can't, but we'll sign you up. Okay, I want to sign up for growth track. All right, you can do growth track. Can I do all four weeks today? No, you cannot. <laughs> I want to be involved in this. I want to do this. I want to help with that. I want to, why? Because they're enthusiastic, they're passionate, they're excited, they can't wait, right? Can, can you remember what it was like when you first came to Christ? Remember where you were before you ended up where you are today? See, God hasn't changed. As we talked about last week, God is pursuing us. He's chasing us down. So if anything has changed, it's us. We've drifted from God rather than God drifting from us. But God chases us down. He hunts us down. He's pursuing us even in that. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is talking about end times in Matthew 24, verse 12 from the New Living Translation. And he says this, sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of many will grow cold. 
Sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many will grow cold. Does this sound familiar to you? When I look around the news and I look around society and culture, it feels like sin is rampant everywhere and the love of many is growing cold. Well, this is natural. Because what happens is, is our affection and devotion for Christ diminishes proportionally with the, with the sinful nature that we embrace. So sin, we, we love to paint it as like something horrible and evil, and it is. Sin separates us from God. But really sin at its root is just doing something selfish that's contrary to, to what God wants for us. It's putting my selfish desires over God's desires for me. And this is how simple it is. It can be something so simple like, um, hey, I, I know God wants this, but I want this instead, so I'm going to do that. And it can be that simple a decision that leads us in the wrong direction. And those decisions end up causing our hearts to grow cold in relationship to God. Now, I want you to hear this because this is what happens in marriage. No one that I know of has ever stood at an altar in front of a priest or a pastor and said, I hate you and you hate me. Let's see how long we can make this last. Right? If so, I would love to meet those people. It never happens. What happens is they stand up in front of a room full of friends and family, in front of a priest or a minister, in front of God and everyone, and they say, I take you to be my spouse, to have and to hold from this day forward, for richer, for poor, for better, for worse, till death do us part. Right? So what we're saying is I'm committed to you no matter what happens. I'm committed to you. But inevitably, if we don't manage that and work on that relationship, it drifts and we get to a place where we go, mm, man, I can't believe they didn't do the dishes again today. I can't believe he left the toilet seat up again. By the way, if your husband leaves the toilet seat up, do me a favor. Just look back before you sit in the commode. Just look back. Just do this. That's all you got to do. If you do this, it's going to save you sitting in the toilet. Just put the lid down. That's it. <laughs> Trying to help some guys out today. Laziest woman ever can't turn her head a little bit to see. Put it down. Come on. I just lost all the women in the room just then. <laughs> But we don't get in, married with the intentions of, let's see how quickly we can get divorced. Let's see how quickly we can mess this up. We get married with the best intentions and then we drift. This is the same thing with Christ. We come to Christ, we are the bride of Christ, we come to him with the best intentions and then we drift. Because if we don't put effort and energy into our relationship with Christ, it will drift. If we don't put effort and energy into our, our relationship with our spouse, it will drift. It is natural. I've jokingly said in the past that Pastor Dick Motzing does our pre-marriage counseling here at Summit and I do our pre-divorce counseling here at Summit <laughs> because people come to him and they're so excited and they can't wait and then their marriage gets off the rails somewhere and then they come to me and they've already called the divorce lawyers and they basically want me just to like rubber stamp and go, well, boom, boom, you're, okay, you're done. You don't need to be married anymore. And, and I see people over and over and over and the story is the same. 
Well, we got married and we loved each other and then something changed. It didn't go the direction we thought. It, it all went downhill. And this is the same in our relationship with God. So what we have to do is what I'm telling you to do today is remember where you were. You, you didn't hate each other when you got married. You loved each other. You, you've drifted from God, but God hasn't changed. He loves you desperately and passionately. He's pursuing you. So, so what's changed in your relationship? So the first thing is this. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Second thing is simple. Repent. Repent. Uh, in the Greek, it's the word, it's uh, mataneo. And mataneo simply means to change one's mind for better, heartily to amend with abhorrence of one's past. So it's not just to go, huh, okay, I guess you're right. But it's to go, oh my gosh, I can't believe that I used to think this was okay. This is the moment where um, maybe, maybe you're, you're sitting with someone who's uh, following Christ and um, they're talking to you and you have this realization like, oh my gosh, I've been doing this and maybe I shouldn't be doing that. Maybe you hear a preacher talking and you're like, I didn't even know that was a bad thing, but I'm not supposed to be doing that. Oh my gosh. And it's this awakening moment where it's like, oh. Um, I see this in couples where um, there are couples at times that one thinks the marriage is great and one thinks the marriage is horrible. And maybe there's some communication happening, but maybe not. And then finally one day one of them goes, okay, I'm done. I'm out. I can't do this anymore. And the other one goes, wait a second. I didn't think this was that bad. And they go, yeah, it's this and this and this and this and this. And the person goes, <gasps> I didn't realize. And it's not just saying, I want to change my mind. Like, yeah, maybe you're right. But it's going, you know what? I'm, I can't believe I thought that was okay. I can't believe I thought it was okay to treat you that way. I can't believe uh, this mindset was acceptable to me. I'm never going back to that. I'm repenting. I'm turning away from that. And, and what we see God say in this moment is, um, Remember from where you've fallen and then repent. Turn away from the direction you're going in. See, we have to understand that the thinking and behavior that brought me to this place isn't just bad, but it's potentially deadly. It can mean death to your marriage. It can mean death to your relationship with Christ. In marriages, this means a tough conversation. This means us having a talk with someone. And I don't mean a yelling match. I mean a talk where we say, can we talk about where we're at today? Can we talk about how we ended up in this place without blaming or pointing fingers, just saying, can we work through this? Hey, I was stupid. I was an idiot to think this, to do this, to act this way. I was wrong. I, I'm turning away from it. I recognize that the, what I was doing was gonna lead to the death of our relationship and I'm turning away from that. We do the same thing with Christ. We come to Christ and we say, my thinking was leading me to death. My behavior was leading me to death and I'm turning away from, I recognize now, I abhor the direction I was going in and I'm turning in a new direction today. Will you forgive me? So we remember, we repent and the third thing is this. I love, I love this part. Do the works you did at first. So the question is this, what were you doing at the beginning? What did you feel? What did you believe was possible? What did you do in response to those feelings? Because as I look around this room, 
I see a lot of men sitting next to women, and the women are way too good looking for you, men. So what that tells me is this, at one point you knew how to woo women, right? None of us just fell into our spouses. All of us that married up, we didn't fall into it. We worked to get the spouse that we got, right? I mean, again, think, think back. Remember the works you once did, the works you did at the beginning. Some of you, you were writing your, your girlfriend maybe at the time, poems. You were writing poetry. You're like, I'm not even good at rhyming. I'm gonna write her a poem. Roses are red, violets are blue, you sure are pretty. Wanna go out? You are putting notes on her car. You're, you're buying her a special gift. You're surprising her with whatever it is. You were doing some stuff at the beginning to woo her, weren't you? Let's be honest. Now, I've been married 20 years. It was 20 years September. And, and over the course of that 20 years, my relationship with my wife has shifted. It's changed. Now, early on in the marriage... And let's just say, in the wooing process, there was a level of immaturity. Because I thought every day is going to feel like this, right? Whenever I do a, a wedding, I don't do a whole lot, but whenever I do a wedding, I will tell them while in the ceremony, I will say, hey, I want you to know something. Not every day is going to feel like this day. Because that wedding day, it's like, oh my gosh, I love you so much. This is the best, right? And some of you know not every day feels like that. There are some days you're like, you're here still, right? <laughs> you came home from work today, good. <laughs> Can we just be honest? There are days we don't feel like being married, but that's the beauty of maturity in our relationship is on the days we don't feel like being married, there's a deep commitment to our spouse that says it doesn't matter if I feel like it because today I'm committed to you, no matter what. And it creates this beautiful safety net for our children and for our families. My girls never have to wonder, are mom and dad gonna stay together? They never have to wonder if we're gonna end up like so many couples in our society because there's a commitment there. Now, this is what I want you to understand. If, um, if there's a deep emotional affection without commitment, it's probably immature. And if there's commitment without a deep emotional connection and affection, then it's probably robotic. And it's probably systematic. And it's probably unhealthy. So there has to be this moment where we marry these two things together where we have a deep commitment for our spouse, but it's also married with this affection. And that is hard to maintain that at times. Think about it this way. In, in our relationship with God, it's the same as our relationship with our spouse. So many of us have, have grown cold in our relationship with God because now it's just a commitment. It's just something we do. Well, we go to church on Sunday. It's what we do. But we lack this feeling and this emotion and this deep affection that we had at the beginning. So my question is, what did you do at the beginning? I talked to couples, and um, it's funny because, you know, we'll talk and we'll say, well, okay, you didn't always feel the way you feel today, so what did you used to do? Describe a season in your marriage that was really good. 
Oh, well, you know what? My husband would come home from work, and there was laughter in the home, and he would bring me flowers, and I would do, and the husband said, well, and she would, she would be spontaneous, and she would do this, and we would, do, and we would go, and we would have fun, and okay. So, so why don't you buy her flowers? Well, I don't feel like it. She's mean. <laughs> and I'll be honest with you, there's sometimes I'm like, yes, yeah, she is. <laughs> I don't feel like buying her flowers. I'm like, I get it. But do you think maybe if you bought her flowers, she wouldn't be so mean? Because what happens is we let our feelings lead us. And what we have to do is flip it. We have to say, uh, hey, I'm going to be committed and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let the feelings follow my actions. So my actions are going to lead the way and the feelings are going to follow. Right actions will lead to right feelings. So I'm going to do the right thing and the right feelings are going to follow because this is what's going to happen with this situation. You're going to buy your wife flowers. You're going to bring them home and you're not going to feel like you're going to give her flowers and she's going to see, man, my, my husband loves me and something is going to begin to shift and your feelings will begin to follow because it's going to do something in your wife. And this light bulb was like, oh, that's a great idea. Why didn't I think about that, right? And I think about this in relationship to God. What were you doing at the beginning? right? When we come to Christ, so many of us are inviting friends to church. We're telling people about our faith. We don't even know what we're supposed to be saying, but we're so excited, right? We're telling people. Oh, let me tell you about what God did in my life. And there's a passage in Zechariah, 2 Zechariah chapter 12. There's no Zechariah, by the way. We're quoting scripture that we're making up. We don't even know what we're doing, but we're so excited about it, right? We're, we're, we're in small groups, we're serving, we're doing everything we can. But then what happens? Well, we mature in our relationship with God, and now that stuff is not as important. Oh, yeah, it's good for some people, but I'm mature, and I don't need that stuff. So my instruction to you today is do the works you did at first. See the people around you the same way you saw them when you came to faith in Christ. See your spouse the same way you saw your spouse on your wedding day. Or the first time you saw them across campus or across the, that lunchroom or across whatever it was. Look at them that way. Do the work you did at the beginning, at the first. Go back to that moment and say, what was I doing then? What do I need to be doing now? See, God wants us to be in a relationship with him that's full of commitment but full of passion and joy as well. I really believe God is ushering us in to a, a greater dimension of his love. But it doesn't happen accidentally. It doesn't happen just because we show up to church. It happens because we put effort into it. We work to maintain healthy relationship with God. And it produces something beautiful. Um, you know, there's a, a girl that came to our church a few years ago, she and her family, and uh, it was funny because um, we came to church for a while, and then after a while, I stopped seeing them at church, and I saw her out in public, and just so you know, if you ever leave our church and I see you in public, I'm going to ask you where you go to church now. Like, it's going to happen, and it's going to be terribly awkward for you. And I'm not doing it to be a jerk. I'm doing it because I want you to be in church, whether it's our church or another church. So I see this girl in public, and it was this moment like, oh, did, oh, he saw me. Oh, hey, Pastor Mel. Like, oh, so good to see you. And I was like, oh, hey. And so I was, 
engaging. Or, hey, tell, well, how you doing? I'm doing well. Okay, how's your family? Oh, good. I said, where are you going to church now? He says, um, uh, well, I'm, we're, we're sort of going. We've decided to go to, and she named the church. And I go, oh, I love that church. And I, man, your pastor's awesome. I love him. I said, man, it's great. That, I'm so glad you're there. Make sure you're rooted there. Make sure you're grounded there. I want you to flourish. So be committed. Go there, okay? Okay, thanks very much. And I'd see her from time to time in the community, and we'd talk, and how's it going? How's everything at? And she would say, oh, it's good. It's good. I'm so glad. Love you guys. God bless you. And Because uh, I don't want it to be awkward, because <laughs> this is a small town, and if you leave this church, I'm going to see you at Sheets, or I'm going to see you at Walmart, or I'm going to see you, well, not Walmart, I ate Walmart. I'm going to see you somewhere, though, right? <laughs> probably Meadows, let's be honest. That's probably where I'll see you. So I want to make sure things are okay. I don't want it to be weird. So I see her several times and, uh, didn't, you know, talk to her, engage her. It's fine. And then a few weeks ago, uh, I see her in, in, in church. She's sitting right back over here on the left. And while I was preaching, I saw her. And so when I finished, I walked over. I walked right up to her. I said, hey, what are you doing here? And it wasn't a, what are you doing? What are you up to? It was a, what are you doing here? This is not your church. And I wasn't being a jerk about it, but I wanted to find out, like, hey, how come you're at this church instead of your church, and uh, so I pressed her a little bit, and she just said, well, this is the thing. She said, I really struggled in my walk with Christ over the last couple of years, and uh, she said, I just got this moment where I decided, I had to ask myself, like, when was the last time I was growing in my faith? Like, when was the last time I really felt strong about my walk with God? And she said, honestly, it was when I was here, when I was in this church, when I was in relationship, and she said, so if it's okay, I'd like to come back. And I said, yeah, it's okay. And I said, have you talked to your pastor yet? And I said, I need you to go talk to your pastor about that, though. You need to have a conversation with your pastor and let him know. She said, I already have. She said, I knew you'd say that, so I already talked to him. And, and she said, I let him know, and he's given me his blessing. And I said, well, that's great. And, and understand, this is not about we're better or anything like that. What it is, though, is this woman decided, she went, what do I need to do? What do I need to go back to? What do I need to change? What do I need to adjust? And she realized the last time I experienced God in the way I want to experience God, I was back. So I need to change this. And as awkward as it is, as hard as it is for me to walk back in there, I'm going to do it because I want to experience God. And I love the passion. I love the enthusiasm behind that. And I think what God wants to do is take us to a new place in our love of him as we go back. There's one verse I want to share with you as I close. It's 1 John chapter 4, verse 12. This is from the New Living Translation. It says this. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. If we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. And my prayer today is this. God, bring your love to full expression in us. Let us hold nothing back from you. Let us hold nothing back from others. Because what we see in Christ is Christ says the greatest command is this. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You love God well. You love others well. And these two things are related. If I love people well, it helps me love God better. If I love God well, it helps me love people better. I can't hate people and love God. It's impossible. So, so what we see is as I love people well, the love of God is brought to full expression in me. There's a new dimension of love available in my life if I will just simply love people well. If I will go back, and again, man, when you got saved, you wanted to tell your worst enemy, you wanted them to know about what God is doing in your life, and I'm telling you, if we'll love people well, if we'll go back to where we were, things will begin to shift. 
So my challenge to you today is this. Remember from where you've fallen. Remember where you were before you ended up here. Repent. It can't be just be changing your mind, but it's a boring what you were doing or what you were thinking before, the patterns you were living in. And the last thing is, go back to what you were doing at the start. Go back to the start. If you'll do those things, you're gonna rekindle a love for God in your heart. You're gonna rekindle a love for your spouse in your heart. Some of the things that maybe have grown cold or dormant are gonna be reawakened and God's gonna work. So if you're here today, maybe you're not in a relationship with God, maybe you've never confessed Jesus as Lord, I believe today is your day. I believe that God is here, and if you'll simply repent, if you'll simply go, man, I didn't realize how much God loved me. I didn't realize that, that what I was doing was causing a gulf, a gap between me and God. God, I turn away from that. God is chasing you down. He's ready to love you and receive you as a child coming home. Maybe you're here today and you recognize that your love for God has grown cold. I would encourage you, remember, repent, and go back to what you were doing at the start. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us so well. Thank you for giving your son to pay the price for our sins. Thank you that you've facilitated relationship with other people, that I can be in healthy relationship with others and I can be in healthy relationship with you. So God, I pray that I wouldn't settle for less in either relationship. God, I pray for those that are here that maybe recognize today that their affection for you has begun to wane. Maybe they've become good at church and bad at God. God, Lord, let today be the day that they would marry a deep affection and passion with the commitment they have. God, help them remember where they used to be. Help them go back to what they did at one point. And God, I pray that I would change everything. God, I pray that we as a church corporately, but we as individuals would be passionate about you, that we would experience a new dimension of your love. And God, I pray as we do that, it would be infectious to our community. Because God, I believe it's your love that's gonna draw people to repentance. It's not gonna be us just preaching at people or telling them how they're going to hell. So God, I pray that your love would manifest itself in our hearts and in our lives. That God, as we love you well, it would help us love others well. So God, I pray you would. Help us remember, help us repent, and help us to go back to what we did at the start. God, I pray for those that are here that don't know you. Let today be the day that they can look back on and say everything changed in that moment. Before that, I was lost. After that, I was found. So God, I pray you would draw us. Help us to see your beauty. Help us to see your glory. Help us to see your majesty. And I pray that that would make a difference in us. So have your way among us, Lord. Now with your head bowed and your eyes closed, I just want to ask you if you're here today and you'd say to me, Mel, you know what? I'm not really walking with God. I'm not really in relationship with God. But I know I need to be. So, so I, I want to do what you said. I want to repent. I want to make Jesus Lord of my life. And I want to turn away from what I was thinking and how I was living. I want to make him Lord. Now I'm not going to, embarrass you or make you come forward. I just want to pray with you where you're at. In fact, Scripture says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So what I want to do is, is I just want to lead you in a really simple prayer here in just a moment. So if you're here today and you say, Mel, I want to be included in that prayer. I want to make Jesus Lord of my life. Would you be bold enough to slip your hand up real high where I can see it? You can put it right back down. Is there any you'd say, Mel, that's me. Pray for me today. I want to be included in that prayer. 
I want to make Jesus Lord of my life. Maybe you're here today, and you'd say to me, Mel, you know what, I'm a, I'm a Christian, I know I'm going to heaven, but, but the fact is, uh, maybe the love of God has grown a little bit cold in my heart and in my life. Maybe I've, I've started becoming good at church and bad at God, and I wanna, I, I wanna shift that. I don't wanna just be committed to God, I wanna, I wanna be in intimate relationship with Him. I want to go back. So if that's you, again, with nobody looking around, you, you would like me to pray with you, I would love for you to just slip your hand up real high. If you'd say, Mel, that's me, pray for me. And maybe my love has grown a little cold. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah, all over the room. Yeah, thank you. Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful that you love us with an undying passion, with a, a fire that can never be quenched, and God, I pray that we would just begin to reciprocate that love. That God, I pray hearts would be awakened to your goodness and to your beauty and to your love for us. And I pray as we become aware of that more acutely, God, I pray that everything would begin to fall into place. That God, the deep commitment that so many people in this room have would be married with a deep passion. And that, God, that would truly make the difference. That, God, that would usher us into a new dimension of your love for us and a new dimension of love for you. So, God, I pray that we would remember where we've fallen from, repent of, of actions or inactions that have brought us to this place. And, God, I pray that you would help us to go back and do what we did at first. God, as we do these things, Lord, I pray that you would draw us back into healthy relationship with you. God, let us not be satisfied with just a commitment. God, I pray that we would not just walk in that. But God, I pray that you would mature us as well so we wouldn't just go by feeling and emotion. So Lord, I pray that you'd help us walk in your love. Help us to carry it with us. Help us to make a difference. Lord, thank you for loving us when we were unlovely and unlovable. You still loved us. You still sent your son for us. So thank you for that. Remind us of that. And help us to pursue you with reckless abandon. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So here's what's going to happen right now. I'm going to pray a final prayer over us as we're dismissed in just a moment. And as I'm praying this final prayer, I'm going to invite our prayer team to come up. They'll be standing at the front of this room. And if you need prayer for any reason at all, as I dismiss in just a moment, feel free to come forward and find one of our team members. And if you would like to just sit in the room and pray at your seat, maybe you want to come forward and kneel at one of these steps, feel free to do that as well. And if you feel like God is through with you when we dismiss in just a moment, feel free to be dismissed. But please do so reverently so we don't disrupt what God's doing here at the front of this room. So let me pray a final prayer over you as our prayer team comes. Heavenly Father, you are so good. Thank you for drawing us back to you. Thank you for the love that you freely extend. God, I pray that you would help us walk boldly in that love. God, I pray as we leave this place today, as we go to lunch, as we go visit family or friends, as we go to work, as we go to school, whatever it may be, help us to carry your love with us. And I pray that that would make the difference, God. I pray that we wouldn't just treat people well, but God, I pray that your kingdom would advance as we love well, as we love the way we've been loved. Let people come to know you. Let, let culture shift. Let our, our, our city be changed because of the way 
we love. So God, help us to love well. And as we do, I pray that you would get all the glory for it. So God, send us out, dispatch us in your love today. Be glorified through us. In your name we pray, amen. Guys, I love you more than you know. I'm so honored I get to be your pastor. God bless you. Have a great week.